0: Good morning, I'm Jake Porter, a mission partner here at Neartown Church, and I have the joy and honor of sharing with you this morning from God's word as we continue in our current series, I Promise. These have been crazy days, haven't they? Our world's been turned upside down and we've been on quite a ride. Yet through it all, one thing has remained steady and constant, our God is good and he is faithful. This morning, I get to share from the story of a man named Abram, Abraham, after God changed his name, that God makes this promise to his people. I have a plan for you. In Genesis 12, 2, God made this promise to a man named Abram. He said, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. God's promise for His people is a plan for them to be blessed in order to be a blessing to others. Our hope is that in considering this promise of God to his people, by learning of and reflecting on this promise, we will all be helped to see our problems as part of the process God is using to transform us into the people he wants us to become. So who's had some plans go awry in 2020? Anybody? Is it just me? I had a plan for my business. We were gonna explode in the good way. A plan for my social life. I'd finally earned a companion pass from Southwest Airlines. My wife and I had a plan for how our pregnancy would go, me going to all those hospital appointments with her. All of those plans were shot down due to the unpredictable events we've all been facing this year. Business plans changed, travel has stopped, and the pandemic rules means that she goes to her appointments alone. What do you do when your plans, even the ones you believe were put on your heart by God Himself, good plans, don't seem to be making their way into reality? Do you feel tricked, like a failure? Do you feel unusable, purposeless, adrift in life? Having a sense of purpose is important, isn't it? Knowing what one is called to do is the difference between wandering aimlessly through life and having. Uh, intention and confidence and direction. Well, God has a promise for his people about their lives, and that is that he has a purpose for them just as he did for Abram. Abram, like I said, later renamed by God to be Abraham, grew up as a moon worshiper in a land called Ur. And one night, When he was childless and out alone, God appeared to him out of nowhere and called him to go on an adventure of sorts. In Genesis 12, God told him to leave his homeland, and he promised Abram, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And he promised him, in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And by God's grace, Abram does that. He sets out to see God fulfill his promise, but there's a problem. He waits and waits and wanders and travels and roams and waits, and the promise remains unfulfilled. At many points, Abraham doubted, or at the very least struggled to believe, that God was going to do what he said he would do. And so God would reappear and reaffirm his promise. That promise we first read in chapter 12, but God reiterates it in chapters 13, 15, 17, and 22. We're going to jump into the middle of Abraham's story, Genesis 15. And consider a bit more closely this one episode of his life, one of the times that God appeared to reaffirm his promise of his plan for Abraham, who at this point is still Abram. Now just a bit of context. In chapter 14, we read about the battle between the eastern kings and the kings of the Jordan River Valley. The powerful kings of the east, in response to rebellion by those weaker kings of the city-states in the area or promised land area, Uh, swept in to remind everyone who's boss. And in the process, the city of Sodom was taken, and Lot, Abraham's nephew, who was living in Sodom at the time, was taken captive. So Abraham steps in to battle with his allies, and he leads them to victory. But rather than keep all the wealth that he'd recovered in the battle for himself, he gave it all back. And the reason he gives for doing that, despite being entitled to it all according to the custom of the time, is that he doesn't want anyone or anything other than God to get the credit for making his name great as God had promised to do. It's interesting. Despite turning down the king of Sodom's offer uh, to keep that wealth, Abram was a wealthy man already. He'd already been made rich by his time in Egypt. He'd amassed so much land that he and Lot couldn't share pastures. And now with this military victory, He really made a name for himself and won the respect of people all over that land. Abram was doing pretty well for a guy who started out roaming the desert just a few years earlier. Yet all of this was not enough. He wanted more, not worldly more. He wanted God to fulfill his promises to make him a blessing to all the world. How many of us, when life is going well, when we've we've been making good money and earning the respect and admiration of our community and colleagues. Uh, Maybe we've successfully fought to keep our families together. We've overcome various challenges. How many of us become content with the way things are? We look at our lives and we see that they're pretty good, better than most, and so we settle. We're, We're content. Abraham was not in that place. He was not content with the material Prosperity or worldly fame. He was hungry to see God's promises for a plan fulfilled. He longed to be used by God. He would not be satisfied until God's plans and purpose had come to pass in his life. But he wasn't seeing it. Had he missed his chance? Should he have kept all that wealth? Had he done the right things? Wasn't he selfless in his quest to rescue Lot? Had he served the Lord and credited God with the victory? Hadn't he resisted otherworldly offers? Why had God not responded with the fulfillment of his promises? Why was there yet no fruit from Abraham's faithfulness? This is the spiritual, mental, and emotional place of Abram when God comes to him in chapter 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. In the midst of Abram's doubt, God's word reassures him, telling him to fear not. It is as if God was speaking directly to the core question in Abram's heart. Abram's trust and obedience had not gone unnoticed. His determination to wait for God to work on his behalf rather than take things into his own hands would be rewarded. The passage goes on in verse two, but Abram said, "O Lord God, what will you give to me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, behold, you've given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. I don't think this is Abram merely complaining or doubting. I think Abram is sincerely asking God what exactly God has planned. God has just reassured him that he intends to reward Abram. So Abram's asking, okay, God, great. How? What's this going to look like? Tell me, because I'm not seeing it myself. I can't see what you're doing. Abram even points to Eliezer of Damascus, his household servant, as his possible heir. Perhaps he just resigned himself to the fact that a servant would be inheriting his estate since he and his wife could bear no children. Look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now back in chapter 13, God had told Abram that his offspring would be as the dust of the earth. And now he uses another image, the stars of the heavens. He reassures Abram that he will bear a son and his son would become a great nation. Imagine Abram standing outside the hills of ancient Israel, looking up at the stars. What must have gone through his mind as this former moon worshiper looked up and heard this incredible promise from the God who hung the moon and stars in their places? Well, upon this reaffirmation of God's promise, Abram would continue to trust even though he continued childless and a wanderer. Verse 6 says, And he believed the Lord, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. This is one of the most important verses in the Old Testament. It's quoted directly in the New Testament passages three times. One important thing to note is that this was not the first time Abram ever believed God, nor was this necessarily the moment when God credited his faith as righteousness. The author includes this verse at this point in the story to remind us of a very important lesson. Our faith is based on God's word, God's promise. When God spoke to Abram, Abram believed. When God made a promise, Abram trusted. His faith was not based on his own obedience or understanding. His faith was not based on fruitfulness. His faith was not based on having his expectations of how things ought to be fulfilled actually fulfilled. Abram's faith was based on God's word and the promises there. And Abram's trust in God was answered with the crediting of righteousness. Abram was not perfect, yet by faith, Abram is reckoned righteous by God. We'll come back to that later. The next verse, verse 7, picks up on the very next day. It would have been nighttime when Abram uh, saw all those stars with God's prompting. And now he's about to give Abram, God is about to give Abram a task that's, according to verse 12, is going to last until the sun is going down the next day. So it's the next day. And let's continue in verse 7. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? I love that honesty from Abram. God, I hear what you're saying, but how can I know? Maybe Abram was doubting God, maybe he was doubting himself, maybe a little of both, but regardless, I love the way God answers. Let's keep reading in verse nine. He said to him, "'Bring me a heifer three years old, "'a female goat three years old, "'and a ram three years old, "'a turtle dove and a young pigeon. "'And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other but he did not cut the birds in half and when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses abram drove them away so god tells abram to go get all these animals animals that were typically used for sacrifices and abram cuts them all in half except the birds cuz they're too small for this process and and he lays each half over against the other so they were opposite in two rows with a path in between. Now, Abram knew exactly where all this was headed, or so he likely thought. Here's what was going on. In that day, covenants were made as sacred agreements. And when more serious covenants uh, came about, a ceremony in which animals were halved, and then one or both parties of the covenant would pass through the carcasses would be held. This was so common that in Hebrew, they wouldn't say make a covenant. They'd say cut a covenant with each other. You'd cut a covenant with someone referring to this ceremony that God has Abram preparing. This ritual displayed the seriousness of the oath being taken and the covenant being made. To pass between the pieces was saying, if I break this covenant, may this same thing happen to me. Abraham is there waiting for God to give further instructions. And all these birds of prey you know vultures and buzzards keep coming down trying to get the carcasses abram's having to drive them off to keep them from taking the animals of sacrifice what a great reminder obedience is no guarantee of ease in fact like those animal carcasses it may attract trials and tribulations do you ever interpret hardship as failure to be faithful to god or do you ever look at challenges as a sign that maybe God has abandoned you? Not true. I can only imagine what was going through Abram's mind. Where are you, God? You have me do all this work, and now what? How long am I gonna have to fight off these buzzards? Um, God, did I misunderstand something? Can't you get here and us make this covenant and I'll walk between these animals and we'll get this over with? I'm ready, I trust you. I'm good, let's go. You see, in this day, if an ordinary man is making a covenant with a greater man like a king, it's obvious which one is going to be pledging his life in obedience through this ritual, which one's going to be walking that path between the animals. Abram was no doubt waiting to cut this covenant, to walk between these halved carcasses and swear on his life, to remain true to God and to wait on his promises. In verse 12, the sun begins to set. And then the Lord appears again and explains that the route to the fulfillment of the promise would be hard and indirect. He explains that before his offspring inherit the promised land, they'd first be sojourners and slaves for 400 years in another land. But eventually they'd be back. And in the meantime, God says, Abram would be buried in in a good old age in verse 15. In other words, Abraham will not see the final product of God's promises in his lifetime but that doesn't mean the promise won't be fulfilled. See, the plan of God's promise was much bigger than one man named Abraham and that one man's life. <clears throat> now my favorite part, verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold a smoking firepot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Night falls, and suddenly Abram sees a smoking fire pot and flaming torch. Again and again, God appears to the Hebrew people as fire and smoke, the burning bush, Mount Sinai, wandering through the desert. The smoke and flame is a manifestation of God's presence, and in an astonishing moment, Abraham watches God pass between the animal halves Verse 18 tells us that God made a covenant with Abram that day that he would receive the promised land, that he would be made great and bless the earth. You catch what just happened? God, not Abram, God passes through the pieces. God guarantees the fulfillment of his promises to Abraham on his own life. And since God can't die, this is pretty much saying it's going to happen. Listen to how the New Testament writer of Hebrews speaks to this in Hebrews 6, 13 through 18. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation." So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. I love that phrase, the unchangeable character of his purpose. How can we know that God's promise will come to pass? Because God promised, and God cannot lie, and he cannot die. He has given his word and then sworn by himself that he will bring it all about. We may not see it now, but it will happen. If you're a follower of Jesus, please hear this. God still has a plan for every one of his people He intends to bless you so that you can be a blessing to others. That's his purpose for you. And we are reminded in this story from Abram's life that even when we don't see how it will all happen, we can trust that God will be faithful to fulfill his word to us. We must resist the temptation to grow content with what we can fulfill on our own. We need to bring ourselves back to our faithful God and to his promises. He blesses us so that we can bless others. Remember that just as with Abraham, the purpose of God promises for us to extend far beyond our little lives individually. He unites us to a grand plan that runs from let there be light to behold, I make all things new. Trust, serve, love, and testify even when you don't see the end because God's word is good. His good end will come. Brother, sister, how are you blessing others? with your words of truth and encouragement, with the giving of your resources, by serving, volunteering, by being a safe person who knows how to listen. And most importantly, are you sharing with others the hope you have in Jesus? Which brings me to my closing words for anyone listening who's not yet crossed over that line of faith to become a follower of Jesus. This God who I've been talking about desires to be in a covenant relationship with people like you and me. So much so that he made a promise on his life. He promised on his life and he can't die, can he? Well, the truth is that God did take on human nature and he came to this earth and he tasted death for us. When we broke the covenant, rather than make his children take on the punishment, God in Christ was broken for us. On the cross, the curse of a broken covenant fell on Jesus Christ, God in flesh, the sinless one who died for sinners. Just as Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, so it is for us. We who have broken God's law can now be counted righteous by faith in Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. If you don't know Jesus, here's what I want you to hear. He died for sin so that you don't have to. God offers life for him and that is the doorway into a life of purpose, of blessing and being a blessing and it is yours by faith, when you trust God's promises to forgive you and make you new through faith in Jesus. Trust God in Christ today and enter into his promise and plan to bless the world through you.